I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I have developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. As we continue our chronological reading of the Gospels, today we're going to be looking at parallel passages in Matthew chapter 12, Mark chapter 3, and Luke chapter 11. In the passages we'll be looking at today, we're going to see the following events in Jesus' ministry. Jesus, at this point in time, is still traveling and ministering in Galilee, and these events take place between the second and third Passover feast of Jesus' ministry. In our first passage of Scripture, we're going to look at the Jewish leaders who step way over the line in their conversation with Jesus. Reading Matthew chapter 12, verses 22 to 37, Mark chapter 3, verses 20 to 30, and Luke chapter 11, verses 14 to 23, all recording the same incident. Matthew chapter 12, verse 22. Then was brought unto him one possessed with the devil, blind and dumb. And he healed him, insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Is not this the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow doth cast out devils by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. And Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? And if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is coming to you. Or else, how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house? He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. Wherefore I say unto you, All manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man... It shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. Either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt. For the tree is known by his fruit. O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you, that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by the words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Now let's view the same incident from Mark's perspective, beginning with Mark chapter 3, verse 20. And the multitude cometh together again, so that they could not so much as eat bread. And when his friends heard it, they went out to lay hold on him, for they said, He is beside himself. 
And the scribes which came down from Jerusalem said, He hath Beelzebub, and by the prince of the devils casteth he out devils. And he called them unto him, and said unto them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? And if a kingdom be divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan rise up against himself, and be divided, he cannot stand, but hath an end. No man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he will first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house. Verily I say unto you, All sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men, and blasphemies wherewith soever they shall blaspheme. But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation, because they said, He hath an unclean spirit. Now the same incident, but this time from Luke's perspective, in Luke chapter 11, beginning with verse 14. And he was casting out a devil, and it was dumb. And it came to pass, when the devil was gone out, the dumb spake, and the people wondered. But some of them said, He casteth out devils through Beelzebub, the chief of the devils. And others, tempting him, sought of him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house falleth. If Satan also be divided against himself, how shall his kingdom stand? Because ye say that I cast out devils through Beelzebub. And if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore shall they be your judges." But if I with the finger of God cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God is come upon you. When a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor wherein he trusted, and divideth his spoils. He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth. Of the three accounts, Mark doesn't directly mention the healing miracle that brought about this discussion, as do Matthew and Luke. As a matter of fact, Mark begins his account by mentioning the crowd control problem that existed, so much so that they were not able even to sit down for a meal. Mark reports in verse 21 that Jesus' friends went out to pull Jesus from the crowd. It's not clear from the text who said, He's beside himself. It's also not clear what's meant by that phrase. The phrase beside himself comes from the Greek word me," which can refer to actions reflecting insanity, or it can mean to be astonished or amazed. If it was the reckless crowd witnessing the casting out of demons, in verse 22, who made that statement, the conversation of demon possession that follows would indicate that they might have tried to portray Jesus as insane. If, on the other hand, it was Jesus' friends who made the statement, they could have been using the term in the context that Jesus was overwhelmed by the crowd. On this occasion, Jesus cast out a demon, and the people, naturally, they're amazed. Not the Jewish leaders, though. They remain unimpressed and even accuse Jesus of casting out demons by calling upon the chief demon, Beelzebub. That's derived from Second Kings chapter 1, verse 2. They're talking about Satan himself. Jesus shows the fallacy of such an outrageous accusation, but did they go too far this time with their verbal attacks on Jesus? Well, yes, they did go too far. 
Impugning Jesus, which the Jewish leaders habitually did, well, that was one thing. But to see the demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit manifested through Jesus and then call it the work of Satan, that went way over the line. We see this sin clearly identified in Mark chapter 3, verse 30, where it says, Because they say he hath an unclean spirit. It's vital that we understand what brought on this condemnation. Specifically, they rejected the deity of Jesus and ascribed his source of power to Satan himself. You simply don't get a stronger rejection of Jesus as Savior than that. I'm convinced that this situation is unique. Yes, I said unique. In that these leaders viewed face-to-face the manifestations of the Spirit through Jesus and yet accused him of being motivated by Satan. Now, I make that point because of the misuse of this passage by many today. Specifically, some people have incorrectly been told that they cannot be saved. Why? Because of having blasphemed the Holy Spirit at some point in their past, meaning and being accused of having laughed at those who spoke in tongues or otherwise proclaimed themselves to be demonstrating the manifestation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Well, let me just categorically say that's an outrageous assertion. Again, let me point out that this scenario cannot be duplicated in this age. No one is prevented from being saved because of such an act. Now, if you'd like to get a fuller understanding of the manifestation of the spiritual gifts, then check out my written notes on 1 Corinthians chapter 12 on BibleTrack.org. You may have noticed that Matthew gives more coverage to this incident than Mark and Luke do. Notice particularly Matthew 12, verse 32. It says, And whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. Matthew uses the Greek word ion to describe the longevity of this condemnation. Neither in this age, because that's what ion means, neither in this age, nor the age to come. That age to come is the kingdom the Jews have been anticipating. That's the Messianic age, the time when the Messiah reigns. That's what they were all anticipating. Jesus makes reference to this kingdom age in Matthew chapter 12, verse 28, and again in Luke chapter 11, verse 20. And there he proclaims that if his actions are of God, then the Messianic age is come upon you his own words. Immediately following the outrageous claim by the Jewish leaders that Jesus was motivated by Satan, Jesus explains the principle of fruit bearing as applied to ministers of God. I just can't resist mentioning Galatians chapter 5 verses 22 and 23. Here's what that those two verses say. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Here's the bottom line. When the source is God, the fruit is always good. As the discussion between Jesus and the Pharisees and the scribes continues, we see in this passage that only Matthew and Luke report on this incident. Matthew 12, verse 38. 
Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and an adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation, and shall condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, a greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment with this generation, and shall condemn it. For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, a greater than Solomon is here. Now let's look at Luke chapter 11, verse 29, the same occasion. And when the people were gathered thick together, he began to say, This is an evil generation. They seek a sign, and there shall no sign be given it, but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For as Jonah was a sign unto the Ninevites, so shall also the Son of Man be to this generation. The queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the utmost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, a greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, a greater than Jonah is here. Now, you may have noticed that Luke orders this account just a little differently from Matthew, but both include the dialogue. When we look at, in just a few moments, Luke chapter 11, verses 24 through 28, uh, we'll see those verses summarized as well. Well, these Pharisees and scribes ask for a sign that Jesus is who he claims to be. Jesus cites Jonah. He explains in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, and says this, For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Well, this verse is very rich in meaning. First of all, he's referring to the period between his crucifixion and resurrection. Notice that period is three days and three nights. Well, so much for a Friday crucifixion, which would only allow for two nights. As a matter of fact, the reason so many have taught a Friday crucifixion for centuries is because they believe that the Jews were insisting that Jesus be taken off the cross before the beginning of the weekly Sabbath. However, on closer inspection, we see in John chapter 19, verse 31, that this was not the regular weekly Sabbath that they were trying to beat by getting him off the cross, but rather, it says in that passage, it was the beginning of a special high day. As a matter of fact, it was the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is treated like a weekly Sabbath. So here's the sequence for the week in which Jesus was crucified. Thursday was Passover when Jesus was crucified. Friday was the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Saturday was the regular Sabbath day. On Sunday morning, Jesus resurrected after three days and three nights. But there's another fascination with this passage, and that's this. Where was Jesus for those three days? Well, here in this passage, he prophesies that he'll be in the, notice what he says, heart of the earth. Now, I've written an article entitled Paradise Relocated. And uh, you can find it under the topic section of BibleTrack.org. 
And it explains this whole process, where Jesus was for those three days, what he was doing, and uh, everything that you need to understand about the Old Testament saints to whom he preached. Jesus also cites the inquiring mind of the Queen of Sheba. That was back when she visited Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 10, verses 1 to 13, also recorded in 2 Chronicles 9, verses 1 through 12. He cites that as an example of what happens when people really desire to know God. Jesus uses these two Old Testament examples to make the point that these had embraced the manifestation of God's salvation while the current generation, well, they're rejecting it. Now, we're still looking at the same occasion from Matthew and Luke's perspective. Mark doesn't have any uh, weigh-in on this particular incident. But the same conversation, beginning with Matthew chapter 12, verse 43, where we see that demons are looking for a place to live. Matthew 12:43. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest, and findeth none. Then he saith, I will return unto my house from whence I came out. And when he has come, he findeth it empty, swept and garnished. Then goeth he and taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be also unto this wicked generation." Now let's look at Luke chapter 11, beginning with verse 24. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest and finding none. He saith, I will return unto my house whence I came out. And when he cometh, he findeth it swept and garnished. Then goeth he and taketh to him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Now Jesus is still addressing these same Jewish leaders who made that outrageous accusation against him up in Matthew chapter 12, verses 31 and 32. Here's the lesson. If you don't fill your spiritual void with God's spirit, you may be disappointed with your next tenant. People often ask me if I think a believer can be possessed by a demon. My answer is absolutely not. It really flies in the face of New Testament consistency to believe that a believer can be indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God at salvation and at the same time be indwelt by a demon. Just look at 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen. my notes there, and Romans chapter 8, verse 9, again, my notes, and you'll see what I mean. As a matter of fact, is that not exactly what Jesus is saying here in this passage? He implies that a demon sets up housekeeping in a vessel which is spiritually devoid, not the scenario that exists in a believer who is indwelt by the Holy Spirit, which happens at salvation. Now, on this same occasion, we have a couple of incidences here that only Luke records. Uh, first of all, a woman that hollers out a strange blessing. Reading Luke eleven twenty seven. And it came to pass, as he spake these things, a certain woman of the company lifted up her voice and said unto him, Blessed is the womb that bare thee, and the paps which thou hast sucked. But he said, Yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God, and keep it. The word here, blessed, in that passage is translated from the Greek word makarios. It means fortunate or well-off. 
Furthermore, the Greek word for keep there is philoso. It's a word meaning to guard or keep. We're talking about hearing and guarding God's word. Yes, indeed, those who trust Jesus by faith are truly, truly blessed. Now, as I mentioned earlier, Luke sequences his uh, conversations a little differently from that of Matthew. And so we talked about Luke eleven twenty nine to 32 when we referred to the comments of Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 to 42, both of them talking about the same conversation during this bout with the scribes and Pharisees. That brings us to Luke chapter 11, verses 33 to 36. No man, when he hath lighted a candle, putteth it in a secret place, neither under a bushel, but on a candlestick, for they which come in may see the light. The light of the body is the eye. Therefore, when thine eye is single, thy whole body also is full of light. But when thine eye is evil, thy body also is full of darkness. Take heed, therefore, that the light which is in thee be not darkness. If thy whole body, therefore, be full of light, having no part dark, the whole shall be full of light, as when the bright shining of a candle doth give thee light. Well, this follows the occasion of Jesus giving Jonah in the belly of the whale as an analogy. He has explained who he is and what his ultimate sign manifestation will be, and that's going to be his resurrection. Now, what will you do with this light? On the same occasion, and in the next uh, incident that takes place that day, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all weigh in. And here we find that Jesus' mother and brothers send for him. Matthew chapter 12, verse 46. While he yet talked to the people, behold, his mother and his brethren stood without, desiring to speak with him. Then one said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without, desiring to speak with thee. But he answered and said unto him that told him, Who is my mother, and who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren. For whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven... The same is my brother and sister and mother. Now, from Mark's perspective, Mark chapter 3, verse 31. There came then his brethren and his mother, and standing without, sent unto him, calling him. And the multitude said about him, and they said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren without seek for thee. And he answered them, saying, Who is my mother or my brethren? And he looked round about on them which sat about him, and said, Behold my mother and my brethren. For whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother, and my sister, and my mother. Now, from Luke's perspective, Luke chapter 8, verse 19. Then came to him his mother and his brethren, and could not come at him for the press. And it was told him by certain which said, Thy mother and thy brethren stand without, desiring to see thee. And he answered and said unto them, My mother and my brethren are these which hear the word of God and do it. When Mary and her other sons, the brothers of Jesus, come to where Jesus is speaking, he uses this occasion to introduce the concept of the body of Christ. We refer to the body of Christ as the church. It's a reference to all those who've trusted Jesus Christ, their Savior, by faith. Jesus makes the point here that his relatives, as God in the flesh, Savior of the world and Messiah, well, they aren't just limited to those who are physically kin to him. 
but that extends to all those who accept Jesus Christ by faith. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Faith Bible Church, Paul Walton.